Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Sean Paul, CEO of Ejido Verde, joins us today to discuss his work. He's helping to simultaneously fight climate change even as he works to restore a vibrant economy with pine resin in Michoacan, Mexico. He'll also teach us how to master his superpowers, listening and bridging vision to action. Well, hello, everyone. I'm really thrilled to have with us today Sean Paul of uh, Ejido Verde. Uh, Sean and I have spoken before, and uh, when we spoke, he, he gave me some uh, really powerful insights about his superpowers. And so I wanted to have him back to talk more about that. We'll talk about the impact he's having in the world, especially down in Mexico, where, where he lives and works uh, at, at Ejido Verde. Uh, where they're doing uh, pine resin of all things. Uh, the, the story is really pretty incredible. But, but Paul, uh, Sean, Sean, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you, Devin. It's a pleasure to be here. Let Let's start um, by having you tell everyone a little bit about Ahido Verde, just to, to refresh everyone's recollection, so we can sure. start with this, some context. Yeah. Um, Ejido Verde, you could call it a social enterprise based in uh, Michoacan, Mexico, the mountain temperate mountains. We're near the um, Monarch Butterfly Reserves and a region that's a source of America's avocados. And I'm in a region that has a millennial tradition of tapping the native pine trees for pine resin and transforming that pine resin into products. Uh, the traditional use of those products in the, in the, uh, for the indigenous peoples of the region, you know, millennial practices, uh, was used for medicinal purposes, and it was also used as a sealant to make uh, wood boats floatable. Um, the modern pine chemical industry really grew up in the last century, uh, where today uh, the pine resin that's tapped out of a tree, you, know, you scrape the bark, and uh, the it comes out like sap without necessarily harming the tree. Um, and that resin today is transformed um, for commercial purposes for um, hundreds of commercial applications. Here in Michoacan, where it's been, we're about a century old industry, uh, where we're selling pine resin derivatives. My industry group sells pine resin derivatives today to, in um, 12 industries, 20 countries. Uh, most commonly, it's in adhesives and inks, carbonated beverages, uh, fragrances, sealants. Um, anyway, that gives a, a flavor of the uh, current applications. And Ejido Verde really was born in 2009 as a pilot project between the pine resin industry and forest communities that have been harvesting and tapping their trees for a millennium. And it's a response to the sad reality that we're losing our forests due to systemic long-term deforestation. And Ejido Verde represents a, an attempt at a solution to restore degraded landscapes and uh, provide a reliable supply of pine resin uh, to, for a thriving industry that includes forest communities, biorefineries, manufacturers, um, and you know, many, many of them, there's many businesses in our, in our supply chains. So, you know, what you're creating are enterprises that are protecting and building an economy for a community that has been disadvantaged for a long time, at least a couple of generations as deforestation has taken a toll and uh, other economic pressures 
uh, and at the same time, you're you are uh, protecting forest and creating a um, an environmental benefit. So it, it it's a huge dual benefit kind of thing, isn't it? Correct. I, mean, I really love the fact that my uh, board president and our board staff retreat recently really said, "My staff, we are a radical business. We have a radical business proposition. So we are in the business of getting pine resin, but in the process, we're restoring soils. We're restoring water sources. Uh, we're enhancing biodiversity in the landscape, and we believe we're going to create transformational wealth." for independent workers. We're talking about the future of work. People are steward their forests. The communities where we work own the land and own the forest. The individual tapper might be a steward with use of fruck rights, but we're offering a pathway for the community and their members to build transformational wealth um, for their families and communities. We believe in 30 years, we will be creating a billion dollars of wealth for the forest communities where we work. And we're in a region that is uh, among the poorest in Mexico, a population that's among the most marginal economically, socially, politically. We work in a backdrop where business has a reputation for being extractive, maximize profit, destroy the land, exploit the workers. And we're really a radical alternative to that, you know, doing well by doing good, creating transformational wealth uh, with an intergenerational business plan. No, it's it's fantastic. Well, when we spoke again, you told me about your superpowers, and and of course that's my new focus. And I I want to drill down. You, you you named two superpowers, and we need to spend a little time on each. But you named listening, and bridging vision to action, uh, as your superpowers. Now, listening for you is an interesting challenge, I think, because. It also represents a, a bilingual skill that's important uh, as you operate in Mexico, and we, we shouldn't take that for granted. But but tell us about uh, how listening has helped you be successful at Ajito Verde. Right. So here, um, it's an interesting, I guess, I think about my career. This Ajito Verde is the fifth company I've built um, dealing with natural resources, rural and indigenous people in Latin America, and finance. And... I guess the analogy would be um, um, I'm married to a, a Latina woman, and um, it took me 10 years to realize when she said, when I said, are you hungry? And she replied, a little bit. It took me 10 years to realize when she said a little bit, it meant, yes, I'm really hungry and I would like to eat right now. So um, in my American cultural ear, I heard a little bit, oh, well, she could, she can wait to eat took 10 years. So to me, that's a little listening isn't just across culture, right? Certainly there's about listening across different cultures. Um, but there's really a, how do we understand um, what we assume I take as literal in this example, a little bit to me means a little bit uh, means not very hungry. And uh, it took me a long time to learn to understand it meant something very different for that person. So in the context of business, um, you know, it's a fair analogy uh, when you talk to people and how you talk about it and what they emphasize and what they talk about is important is going to be shaped by their life trajectory, where they're coming from, how they were raised, their professional training. Um, and I do find this kind of listening is very important. You're looking, I mean, often I'm listening for what's the pain that people are undergoing and what's the opportunity that inspires them. And uh, I think that might be one way of listening. I come 
from a background. I mean, it's so often in my professional trajectory, and I see it goes on all the time, there's the classic, the person with the money and might have probably more education, goes into the room, and there's this assumption that the person with the money and the more formal education is the expert and has the medicine to solve what's illing everybody else. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's just such a uh, false paradigm that is so dominant in the way we communicate. And uh, so I think this issue of listening, often it's um, uncovering the people that speak the least really have something important that needs to be heard. So the people that speak the most, well, they're pretty easy to hear. Sometimes they have good ideas. Sometimes they don't, <laughs> just like everybody else. But I think the listening when you're doing community engagement work are all the voices being heard. Um, the loudest voices aren't necessarily the wisest voices. So I think there's that, that ability to listen. It, it's often, I find helpful to listen with great empathy. I think that really trying to climb in the shoes of that person and just totally understand them, uh, free of judgment, um, I think is really um, powerful. And I think getting to that place of empathetic listening, and there's a piece of not feeling judged, right? Because typically they might be saying something important, maybe it's critical, and it can be taken personally, like they're blaming me or accusing me, or and I just got to really let go of all that, right? It's nothing personal. Um, get rid of the ego, try and be completely empathetic. And I find that that helps me begin to attempt to understand with their eyes and ears. And I think that that level of understanding mm, is really important to understand stakeholders, whether it's workers or communities or customers or investors. Um, I think that that um, uh, listening is just this key tool for building relationship and connection and uh, and trust and if you have relationship connection trust well and good listening well then you can make a lot of other things happen like you know build build multinational companies if you want yeah well that's great now your other superpower was uh, about taking you know uh, vision to action and bridging it and, and it's an interesting uh, item. You, you talked about the fact that there are visionaries in the world, and you and I have some mutual friends that I think of as the prime example of maybe who you even had in mind. And then uh, on the other hand, there are other people get really nervous hearing that kind of big vision, and, and they just want to know how are we going to do something today? What are we supposed to do today? What do I do right now? Um, and, and you've been able to play this role in the middle, bringing people together. How did, how uh, has that helped you be successful in your work? Yeah, I mean, it's a little reflection because I see of, uh, what do you call them, entrepreneurs, change makers. Um, I just reflect on when people try and it doesn't work. What, what are some of the, why didn't it work? And um, I just, that's my reflecting of people being, whatever, entrepreneurs and change makers. Uh, this seems to be an important skill. So um, I think being able to share the vision inspires others. That's key. But I mean, my analogy, I'd say if I'm trying to talk to an accountant, 
as sort of my archetypal personality. Accountants don't want vision. They want precision right now. Um, and how am I going to talk? And I've had that look when they, the accountants in my life are those sort of in-the-box people that I need, that we all need to make things work. Um, but they'll look at me like I'm in that from outer space when I'm talking about we're going to create a revolutionary company with pine resin and transformational wealth and solve climate crisis. And they're going to like, you know, you know, good, good, good. God bless you. Goodbye. So um, I think I, I, there's a little bit of that. You need to inspire the heart. So you bring stakeholders along. Vision can inspire the heart, inspire the imagination. But if you want kind of um, bring the accountants along with us on that journey, we need the accountants and we need, you know, I use the accountant. It can be a, an engineer, a chemist, people that tend to not be comfortable with creative thinking, right? There's a whole group that likes to be creative and visual and imaginary. And there's a whole group that identifies with that you know, abstraction. Um, but there's a very large part of the population, perhaps most people who are not comfortable with that sort of imaginary creative work. And they want something very directed, uh, concrete, specific. And they want to know, you know, if I push button A, I will get B result with clarity and definition. And, and so there is a tension between those two ways of thinking. And I think um, um, we need to, part of what I see to do is bridge that. So I got to give the accounts a little bit of vision to say, hey, this is where we're headed. We're going to, you know, make the world a better place. But I also got to give them something that they're comfortable with. Say, we're, we need this result in 30 days. And it's very specific. And, um, and that will, I think, um, bring them along, that they're feeling satisfied with the way they think, that they might get, I got to give them some in-the-box thinking. You know, here's the 30-day plan. Here are the six steps to get there, and here are the results and deliverables, um, a measurable and verifiable in a way that they can relate to. And yeah. I think that um, um, that's a way to bring the, um, the engineers, the chemists, and the accountants, the in-the-box thinkers, and in the vision part. And there's some persistence, you know, and you got to be persistent because there's a lot of disbelief um, in creating something new and different. And, um, and the other key is delivering results. Right, we got to share results. That inspires um, that inspires a lot of uh, confidence. So it can't just be talk; it has to be results. Let's let's talk a little bit about those results. What are you most excited to have accomplished so far, a and what are you looking forward to accomplishing in the future? Yeah, I love the velocity of tree planting that we're doing at Hito Verde. So it's uh, you know, it's really a, it's symbolic of sequestering carbon. Uh, restoring the land, building a new green, what do you call it, bioeconomy, new economy, green economy, uh, low carbon economy, uh, inclusive society. So tree planting in our business model is very indicative of that. And, you know, we're, we're at about 3,000 trees a day that we're planting in, in the time of COVID. I seek to double that number. That really looks like a short 90-day rainy season where we're planting between 30 and 60,000 trees a day in reality, but on average over a year, that might be 3,000, 6,000 trees. That comes with a 10-year package, which I love about it. It isn't just planting a tree and forgetting about it. It's about planting the tree as an important step in an in intergenerational tree stewardship plan. Um, so that's very different the way we plant trees. I think 4,200 hectares under management, 625 family farms that are now have these uh, pine resin orchards on their lands. I think that really excites me about the number of families we're including and growing those families, the number of trees planting 4,200 hectares, 
where we've planted an area that's 70% the size of Manhattan. And I'm trying to get to uh, planting two Manhattans, 12,000 hectares. Um, so that, that, that excites me, the job creation, dignity with dignity, dignified jobs for low-income people, um, restoring um, landscapes uh, with native trees and pine resin, growing this industry, which is, a, to me, a very exciting industry. The pine chemicals industry represents an alternative to hydrocarbons and petroleum products um, in many applications, um, including plastic. There are possibilities you can make biodegradable plastic uh, with pine resin and reduce, um, eliminate the use of uh, petrochemicals and plastic. And that's just one of many possibilities in the pine chemical industry. Oh, that is exciting. That is exciting. So I think those are the, those are the stuff that excite me. And the other part of it is how do we bring money investors of all sorts along with us? How do we change the flow of money to support uh, endeavors like Ajito Verde? So attracting those investors, meeting their needs, doing some education. Um, that's also part of what excites me. We're raising $50 million. We're halfway there. And the money that I love that we've attracted that's most inspiring to me came from crowdfunding platform of Kiva. So we have 10,000 capital providers from 78 countries that have provided us small long-term loans. Um, it's that inspires me. Oh my gosh. That is inspiring. What, what a great story. Now, Sean, I want you to think about how you learned to be a good listener and how others can learn to be good listeners. What are some of the things that we can do? Yeah, so I'm still learning. I said, that's an interesting question because yes, it's key to my success and I, I'm still trying to figure it out. But I'd say uh, I got to withhold judgment, ask a lot of questions, ask a lot of questions. Um, I, I have this image of an elephant, elephant, you know, the rear end of an elephant. It's kind of like, what's the uh, the elephant in the room? What's the question that needs to be asked? So withholding judgment, asking a lot of questions, reserving my comments for last. Um, I think those would be um, some good practical techniques. Um, I think, and there's this work when we're working with rural communities. I think part of the listening for me, I used to do something called participatory rural appraisals. So it's a kind of a systematic approach that a multi- multidisciplinary team goes into a rural community and tries to understand that community. What is the, what is that community saying in its many voices? And I think there are methodologies like participatory rural appraisals to help with that. But in terms of the day to day, how do we you build our muscles and skills to be successful with listening? I would go there withhold judgment, ask a lot of good questions. Um, and, and, you know, refrain from writing your comments until the end. And maybe it begins with clarifying questions before judgment, right? And then, um, you know, then you whatever, can give your response or not, and it could be a judgment or not. But I think, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go to your second superpower, that of bridging vision to action. And I suspect that there was a moment along your path where you recognized the problem and the role you were playing in bringing these two different groups together. Those who love vision, focus on the future, the big idea, and those that are focused on the task. 
what needs to be done today and somehow bringing them together. You saw that, brought them together. Um, but since that moment of sort of consciously recognizing, I suspect you've been learning to do it better and better every day. What are some of the things you've done to learn? What can others do to learn that skill? Yeah, I think um, okay, you're building, um, think about ta- tactics. Um, some of the tactics are defining early wins, right? Defining and delivering on early. What can you do in early win to inspire that confidence and motivation? Uh, good reporting and communication on progress. How are you doing? I think also um, finding ways to talk about failure and not just successes. Because, uh, you know, it's um, getting, I think that's just, that's something that's taken me a long time to learn how to do. Get teams comfortable talking mm-hmm. publicly about their mistakes or failures. And that just is so important and so difficult. Um, what are some of the things that you do to help people talk about failure? Model the way. I made a mistake. I promised I would do this and I didn't deliver. I'm sorry. I'm going to try better next time. Um, I had a goal. So I make it personal. I made a mistake. I had a failure. And uh, I think that helps. Uh, one, and in an organization, um, I'll have the interaction with me and a senior leader in front of others where they declare a mistake or a failure and um, that, that the, the team can see they're not going to be fired or, or penalized um, for, you know, an honest mistake, which is different than negligence, right? We're, we have to distinguish it from negligence or, um, but if we're going to be bold, if we're going to be innovative, it's, inevitable that we're going to have mistakes and failures on our path. Yeah. Yeah. So when one of your team successfully models your behavior in that regard, and they say, I didn't accomplish what I was supposed to, I didn't do it. Should have done it, didn't do it. How do you respond? What, what happens next to put it back into this contact context of uh, a vision to action? So, I mean, in that kind of failure state, thank you for acknowledging your responsibility. What can we learn? What can we learn from that um, event or failure? And how is that going to inform us to be more successful in reaching our goal? And there, hopefully there will be some learnings. Um, and hopefully it won't be an error that's repeated. Sometimes it is. But, right? but you do want to – how do you make mistakes and failure a learning opportunity – to then inform what you do and do it better. I think that the team sees, well, you know, you have adversity. It doesn't mean you fail. This means you got to keep trying harder. Um, I think there is an issue around persistence um, that, that, that I think one learns when, you know, you have adversity, you have failure, and you model the way that persistence is a key to success. That's true for any business, any social enterprise, um, probably any goal that anybody any difficult goal we pursue proceed in life they're rarely easy and require persistence and i'm um i'm i guess i i have a lot of that and i um feed uh, my persistence my stamina with um i find places to celebrate to get joy whether it's um i feel proud about the company i feel good about what i did and my contribution i feel it motivates me to see the 
how I'm making the world a better place, that all that abstract stuff, that really motivates me, right? So that keeps me going. I love thinking about how much carbon, you know, I sequestered in my business uh, in the past few hours, you know? Yeah. Just yeah. sitting here. And uh, let's drill down on that. Motivated. Let's drill down on that just a little bit because you talked about this need for progress reports and celebrating the interim the interim wins or the, pro, the, the, the little wins. Uh, tell us more about how you implement that and so that people who are listening can learn to emulate this bridging uh, vision yeah. to action. Well, I guess it's um, authentic celebration, recognition. Uh, this is a, I mean, you're talking like I've mastered this practice and it's a work in progress. So I'm very personally, I'm very self-critical of myself. I mean, I have very high expectations of myself. I rarely pat myself on the back and I tend to look at, okay, we, yeah, we, whatever we did, we planted a million trees, but I got eight more, you know, 10 million more to plant. I tend to focus on that next thing. So yeah, that has its place, but I think I'm working on acknowledging, patting myself on the back more. And as an analogy, it really begins there because then I say, how do I treat others? I need to treat others the way I treat myself. So I think, um, I'm working on that, patting myself on the back more, not beating myself up for always for the shortcomings, acknowledging, you know, real change and success. We build on our strengths, not we build on our strengths, not fixing our weaknesses. Yeah, and that to me is just um, a powerful frame. I'm working on it to work in progress. But I think that's the way I got to if I'm going to be fantastically successful in life, I got to build on my strengths. And if I want to build it great team, great organization. I got to help them build on their strengths, acknowledging them, congratulating job well done on a regular basis, publicly celebrating some, you know, we, Hey, we had a goal and we met it. Uh, we had this big deliverable and we met it. Um, you know, staff meetings, will do that sort of thing. Maybe it's a little recognition programs, employee of the month, we, you know, try doing that. Um, but I just, yeah, I think these ongoing, um, recognitions so, to keep people motivated so do these little wins the, the, the progress that you report it, it seems to me that that really helps the people who are task oriented feel like they are accomplishing something they're checking things off their list of things to do how does it work with the visionaries uh do they are they encouraged by that as well or are they still looking too far in the future and is there some other aspect needed to drive them in. In my staff, I don't have too many visionaries of that ilk. It <laughs> might be more the investors. Sure. And, the, um, and those people, you know, I don't get into the weeds. We just talk about results. Of course, they care about results. What are your impact results? What are your financial results? What are your sales? You know, and that, that that's probably the level of detail they'll get to. Some of them try to dig in a little bit and understand operations. How are you dealing with climate risk? Um, how big can this project really grow and how are you going to do it? You know, so, but it's still at that idea level, you know, yeah. but no, I, I think the visionary, I'm good with them. They don't go too deep on detail beyond what I, you know, what I just shared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, so that's good. So those, that, that focus on results is a thing that brings both sides together. Definitely. Am I understanding that right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's inspiring. And the other thing I find very powerful is uh, quantitative numbers, you know, on impact. Really be um, 
I built this thing, I don't know if as an investor in my prior to heat of air and in my investment work, uh, a tool called the regenerative dashboard, which my intention there was to help uh, entrepreneurs better define, measure and communicate impact in a way that improves business performance and doing that in a way that they can inform an entrepreneur can inform their investor that the impact in, impact investor wants to know about. But how do we do that in a way that's value adding to the entrepreneur and not just a burden to the company and the entrepreneur to keep their investors happy? And that tool that I've now brought to you to Verde, Regenerative Dashboard, it's just as a way to bring in my whole organization and how do we do reporting on our impact metrics. And that has been extremely powerful. I think it inspires people at all levels of the organization. Oh, fantastic. Well, Sean, uh, this has been a great discussion. I, I, I'm really, I've learned a lot. I'm grateful. Uh, I'm sure the people listening uh, have learned a lot as well. And of course, uh, I'm going to take these insights and incorporate them into the book. Uh, again, we're early enough in the process. The book doesn't have a final name, but it's probably going to be called something like uh, uh, Superpowers for Good, uh, How to Leave Your Mark on the World or something. But um, it'll be available when this when this podcast comes out, I expect. And so we'll uh, we'll make make sure that that's all in the show notes and things. So Fantastic. Pick it up. But, I look forward to finding ways that I can help share and promote your important work. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're too kind. Now, Sean, before we go, tell people how they can connect with you and learn more about uh, Ejido Verde. Yeah, we on our website, Ejido Verde. It's uh, E-J-I-D-O-V-E-R-D-E.com. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, but I certainly, uh, if you want to plant trees, find us on Facebook. If you um, just want to learn about us in general, you're anywhere in the world. Uh, our website, Ajito Verde, is a great place to find us. Regenerative Pine Resin Supply Company will probably get us on your search page. Oh, fantastic. Again, Sean, thank you so much for being with us today. We wish you every success in the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Devin. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Don't forget, get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer.